Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603 356 Okay, so this is the forecast for Friday, June 30th and Saturday, July 1st. Um, We're looking at um, some warm but cloudy weather uh, for the most part over the weekend. And in the discussion section of the forecast, um, the report does make note that... um, In the whites, you should be prepared for wet, slippery trail conditions and potentially difficult stream and river crossings. That's a really great point, actually, because there's been so much rain up here. Um, A chance for rain showers will increase in likelihood with the influx of moisture Friday evening. Um, Saturday, we're looking at some clearing in the morning. However, chance for showers will still be apparent and uh, high dew points will maintain humid conditions. Um, so there you go. So Friday, in and out of the clouds under partly sunny skies, slight chance of showers and thunderstorms, mid-50s for temps. Winds west shifting southwest at 5 to 20 miles an hour, possibly light and variable at times, then increasing to 15 to 30 miles per hour late Friday night. In and out of the clouds under mostly cloudy skies with a chance of rain showers. Upper 40s, southwest winds at 15 to 30 miles an hour. Saturday, in and out of the clouds, trending towards in the clouds under mostly cloudy skies. Chance of rain showers early, then rain likely later in the day. Mid 50s for temps, southwest winds at 15 to 30 miles an hour, increasing to 25 to 40 miles per hour.
My name is Robert Neville. I am a survivor living in New York City. I am broadcasting on all AM frequencies. I will be at the South Street Seaport every day at midday when the sun is highest in the sky. If you are out there, if anyone is out there, I can provide food. I can provide shelter. I can provide security. If there's anybody out there, anybody, please, you are not alone. Just kidding. It's Stomp. And I'm just hanging. It's uh, a Thursday night, Thursday, June 29th, and I missed everybody so much I just couldn't help but jump back on the old microphone for a little bit. Sort of a, <laughs> a funny story. Last week I was um, mixing for the White Mountain Endurance Race, uh, Race the Cog, and I, I recorded the whole entire set. And my intention was to post it earlier this week, uh, but I never did because we ran out of room on our uh, podcast hosting site. So basically what we do is we, we pay this um, host a monthly fee that provides us a certain amount of megabytes. And um, we had like, <laughs> I don't know, I tried to upload this four hour long mix and it wouldn't accept it. So I dug in deeper to the details and I realized that we only had 160 megabytes left. So I was sort of frustrated, but I'm like, okay, that's fine. I can um, post this maybe Saturday, July 1st. And by the way, July 1st, can you believe this? Six months into this year already. I mean, this this year is just flying by. I just can't get over it. Right, Zylo? Zylo, yeah, you agree? Okay, Zylo's eating cords at my feet. So hopefully the, my, my cord will survive this adventure. So anyway, long story short, I'm looking at the amount of data that we had left and it sort of, sort of pissed me off to be honest with you. I'm like, wait a minute. So we're paying for this 168 megabytes and it's just going to go to waste. So I decided, hey, what the hell, I'll just jump on and uh, record a little bit. So as as people probably know, Mike is on vacay and uh, Mrs. Stomp is out uh, for an evening with friends. And I think she's planning on going kayaking tomorrow if the weather holds and um, there's no work shenanigans. Uh, we shall see. And um, I guess Mike's down there basting his his big swollen toe and uh, keeping it warm in the sand, which is great. It's probably the most therapeutic thing you could do. I mean, that's super cool. And uh, so here I am stuck at home with three felines and uh, a com- and a microphone. <laughs> that's it, three felines and a microphone. That's going to be the name of my, um, my next album, my next CD. Wait, wait, all right, hold on. There are no more albums. There are no more CDs. Um, I guess this will be the name of my next MP3 download, I guess. Yeah, sure, that works. Yeah, three felines and a microphone. There, there we go. So I am here. This is not going to be your ordinary show because obviously I, I only have 168 megabytes to work with, so I don't want to just run out and leave you hanging. So what we're going to do is skip uh, certain segments and I'm not going to be uh, doing the advertising 
um, spots that we usually do. So we're just going to get into a couple stories and some news and whatever else. Um, and at the, the towards the end of the show, I want to cover uh, some basic lightning uh, basics, some things you might want to be considering when you're hiking and you're stuck in a lightning storm. Uh, things of that nature, because I mean, we've been getting nailed. I don't know what the hell's going on with this weather cycle right now, um, but it's been wild. Uh, the rivers are raging; they're brown, and when they're brown, you will drown, as they say up here. And uh, it's just been this nonstop cycle of clouds and thunder, lightning and rain. Uh, apparently, the fourth may be a bit of a wash. Fingers crossed. We shall see. Hopefully it's it's clear enough for some fireworks to go off regionally. I'm I'm really hoping. I tossed around the idea of uh throwing up a a buddy hike uh for July fourth, Tuesday night. Uh that's when Waterville Valley does the fireworks for the town. And again, I, who knows if they're gonna do it if it's if it's cloudy. I really can't predict that, but uh we shall see. But yeah, so if uh, anybody's interested and they're actually still going to do the fireworks, I think it'd be really cool to hit um, the, you know, Squam. What is it? Yeah, no, yes. No, wait, no, Scour, Scour, I'm sorry. So Scour Ridge, it's a little cliff about a mile and a half out from the Livermore Trailhead. So um, what a perfect place to see some fireworks. So whether I, you know, whether I post up on Hiking Buddies or I just do it on the website, the Instagram site, um, I'll keep you posted. But that could be a really cool vantage for some fireworks. So yeah, show intro, huh? Um, let's see, this is episode 112. Tonight, Mike is on vacay and uh, Stomp is going rogue, completely rogue. And I, I looked up the definition of rogue and this is pretty cool. You can let me know in the uh, Instagram direct messages if this is accurate. So Stomp goes rogue, an unprincipled, deceitful, and unreliable person. <laughs> A scoundrel or a rascal? That's the first definition. The second one, one who is playfully mischievous or a scamp. I've never heard of that word before, scamp. And number three, a wandering beggar, a vagrant. So there you go. Let me know in the direct messages uh, or just post a little uh, post in the episode post for this episode. Let me know if I'm number one, an unprincipled, deceitful, unreliable person, scoundrel or rascal. Number two, a scamp, a mischievous scamp nonetheless. Or three, a wandering beggar, a vagrant. I don't know. I think I could be all, all three of those, depending on the day, I suppose. But I'll let you decide. So yes, episode 112, we're going to cover some uh, news about name changes uh, for the Baker and Mount Washington, which is interesting. We're going to cover the uh, White Mountain Endurance Aravipa. Uh, Vapa, I swear to God, I'm never going to know how to pronounce that race called Race the Cog, which happened last Saturday. It was amazing. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Some breaking news in the pop culture front uh, and the search and rescue front combined. So I won't give anything away on that yet. And uh, yeah, and we're going to chat a little bit about lightning. So I'm Stomp. I'm not Robert Neville. Let's get started. 
All right. So first up on the uh, chopping block here, I found this story and it's archived, which is pretty cool. So archive is a neat thing you can do if you're getting little pop-up things. There are archive sites out there. Oh, I didn't tell you that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't tell you that. That's, that's rascally. So this is June 21st, 2023. And the headline says Mount Washington Baker River name changes are on the agenda. It's pretty interesting. So the Mount Washington Commission on Friday will discuss a long shot proposal to rename New England's highest peak. So there you go. It's it's already sort of setting this up uh, as being a long shot. But nonetheless, they're discussing it. The name change is one of two proposed by Easton resident Chris Pastoriza. Mount Washington should be renamed because of George Washington's record on slavery, and the Baker River should be renamed because its namesake, Captain John Baker, led a deadly raid against the Pemigewasset Indians in 1712. Huh. I don't know much about that Baker story. Um, and George Washington's record on slavery. Interesting. Huh. And this is... Uh, following the latest news from Reuters about the, uh, the <laughs> presidential history on slave ownership. Oh my God, that's hilarious. I'll let you look that one up, but uh, heads, are, heads are spinning on that one, I'm sure. But anyway, let's check it out here. So the U.S. Board on Geographic Names is undertaking a stakeholder review process on Pastor Reese's recommendations, which is why the Mount Washington Commission, the advisory panel that oversees the 60-acre Mount Washington State Park on the summit, will discuss the proposal. So this meeting already happened, apparently, at the uh, AMC's Highland Center in Twin Mountain. I do not know what came out of this. Um, I will do some research for when uh, Mike is back, and we'll double-check it, uh, and we'll see what happens. Um Pastoriza proposed renaming Mount Washington to Ajakachuk, Agiokochuk, which is Abenaki for home of the Great Spirit, and the Baker River to Asquam Kumauke, which is Pemigewasset for crooked water from high places. That's super cool. I mean, I love those names. I'm, I'm, I'm like on the fence with this whole renaming thing. Um, I know a lot of this stuff is driven by political motives and this and that, but um, there are some cases uh, such as Mount Washington where I think it's it's actually romantic. It's beautiful. I love the original uh, Abenaki. I think it's absolutely beautiful. I fall down on just the, the beauty of it. And um, I don't know. I, I could be swayed to uh, go for that. I'm sure people probably hate me for that, but uh, yeah, whatever. Everybody's uh, entitled to their opinion. So that's going on. I don't think there's much more to talk about there, but if, again, if we hear anything, we'll uh, let you know. Oh, there is a, a little historical marker here. So on Route 25, apparently there's a marker in Rumney uh, that said that Lieutenant Thomas Baker, 1682 to 1753, whose company of 34 scouts from Northampton, Mass., passed down this valley in 1712. A few miles south, his men destroyed a Pemigewasset Indian village. 
Um, Massachusetts rewarded the expedition with a scalp bounty of 40 pounds and made Baker a captain. Wow. I guess uh, Massachusetts is in some heat, huh? Wow. Anyway, story goes on. Uh, obviously, we'll put the, uh, the links for this in the show notes, as Mike likes to say. So moving on to some race recap. So again, uh, last week, last Saturday morning, we had the Race the Cog event that White Mountain Endurance hosted along with Aravapa hmm? YouTube. Uh, they're, they're a great outfit uh, from out west. And uh, I guess they're, they're wheelhouses and covering them and simulcast them and streaming them and capturing it. So uh, it's pretty cool. So for the whole event, it was on YouTube live streamed and uh, I thought it went off really, really well. As you know, the weather was pretty mm, crappy and there was a risk of rain and everything else. What, what else is new? And uh, I was invited along as usual to uh, spin some tunes. <laughs> and, uh, I came into this event um, inspired by the Mount Washington event in the sense that the Mount Washington event, um, you all you heard was dance music the whole entire time. And there are several White Mountain Endurance races, and every single one of them absolutely has a different feel, a different vibe. It's really interesting. So I, I had this idea that EDM, you know, house music, progressive music, uh, would really work well for this. And I showed up and I just mixed for literally four hours plus straight dance music, straight dance music, one song after another, transitions, like smooth. It was such a great time. And I think it was really um, well received. And not to say that that'll work for every other um, event that I may do for folks. But um, in this case, it was it was a good, good call, I think. And um, there was um, some good compliments and... Um, it was just a great time. Uh, the, the, the winners, we had Joseph Gray, who won uh, for the men. He came in around one hour. No, wait, I'm sorry. No, he came in around, that was the Mount Washington time, sorry. So Joseph Gray came in around 40 minutes or so. And then for the females, it was Amber Ferreira, who came in um, just about 10 minutes after that, if I remember correctly. And, and who was the winner? Take a guess. Anybody? Anybody out there? The Elite Cog won. I think I, I'm doing this from memory here. So I think the Elite Cog came in around 35 minutes. <laughs> so you have you have the Cog finishing the race at 35 minutes. You have Joseph Gray at 40. That's amazing to me. I mean, the Cog is neat. It's it's a straight shot more or less to the summit. And there's an access road that uh, parallels the tracks as it ascends. And it's approximately three miles, maybe give it give a tenth or so or take away a tenth. So, man, Joseph Gray pulling off three miles in 40 minutes at that steep, steep angle, that grade. Absolutely brutal. Um, so it was a good time. So those were the winners. Um, so for the start, all the runners... They line up at the starting gate, and of course, it's it's 
you know, it's triggered so that when you run through the starting gate, your time is registered with the uh, the trackers in a van that's nearby. So it captures the time you start and then it captures the time that you stop or come through the finish line. And they gave, this is sort of weird, they gave the cog, as if the cog needs a handicap, they gave the cog maybe like a 50, 50 foot to, I don't know, 100 foot advance in in distance past the starting line. And then the cog blew its whistle and that was the trigger for the runners to start running. So it was just really epic. It was super cool. And uh, just to see the cog and this horde of runners running up uh, towards the summit of Mount Washington together was just really cool. And it's such a unique, fresh idea. I I mean, if you're a runner and you haven't done this, you got to check it out next year. It it was just such a great time. Um, I met a a listener from Florida uh, that evening, later that night in Lincoln. Believe it or not, I'm not... This is just crazy. So I'm sitting there with um, Mrs. Stomp and I decided to go to Jimmy C's Pan Pasta in Lincoln. I I had been in the area and I noticed the sign and I thought, oh, it'd be a really cool date to go out there and check out this this place. It's supposedly great, maybe a little expensive, but uh, we show up and it was pouring out as usual and we walk in and I had to use the restroom. So I hit the restroom on the first level and when I came back out, Mrs. Stomp was missing in action. So I ended up sitting at a bench on the first level and the restaurant is on the second level. So as I'm sitting thinking she's, you know, changed her mind and decided to go to use the restroom herself. I was sitting down there for like five minutes before she, she found me. But in the meantime, um, a family came in and they walked past me to my left and they go into one love. And then the male of the party comes back out and he's like, Hey, are you in a podcast? <laughs> oh, I, I, my apologies. I, I honestly forget the name, but they came up from Florida. I guess they listened down in Florida and they're hikers and uh, they were up for vacation for a couple of weeks and uh, it was really mind blowing. Like, wow, that's super cool. So uh, uh, whatever the name was, I apologize, but um, I just wanted to say hi and shout that out. That was pretty cool. Um, so, that's more or less what happened with uh, Race the Cog. Um, no injuries, no hypothermia. That was fantastic. And speaking of um, care on the mountains, the Jigger Johnson uh, race is coming up soon and um, the Kilkenny at the end of the season, I believe. But for Jigger, Christina and Rem from White Mountain Endurance wanted me to uh, put a shout out there for... Uh, volunteer EMTs, woofers. If you're in the medical field and you want to volunteer your time for those races, in, in particular the Jigger Johnson race, um, that would be fantastic because they they need uh, EMTs and woofers to man aid stations that are placed along the way uh, on the course. Okay, so if you're interested, um, you can email Christina and Rem at info at whitemountainendurance.com. So it's info at whitemountainendurance.com. Okay, so I'll again, I'll put that in the, uh, the show notes for everybody. How's everybody doing? You digging this Rogue Stomp show? I think it's cool. Um, 
it's sort of fun. It's sort of weird though. It's like I'm down here hanging out with Zylo and uh, I feel like I'm just a, a psycho talking to myself. Uh, it's sort of weird. Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stump. All right, pop culture talk. We do have breaking news, and um, I have to back up about a week or so uh, to give some context to this. And um, about six days ago, today is the 30th. Um, I'm sorry, it's the 29th. West Valley Search and Rescue, uh, which is a search and rescue team out. West posted on Instagram and they stated this past Saturday, the search for Mr. Julian Sands who went missing on Baldy earlier this year continued over 80 volunteer rescuers, two helicopters and drones were used during this all day search. While we were not successful yet, we won't give up and are eager to bring closure all right, so that's six days ago. And if uh, listeners remember, Mike and I talked about this. We talked about Mount Baldy a dozen times. It, this is probably one of the most dangerous areas that, that has been popping up in the news as of late, uh, particularly in the winter uh, because of its just ice and uh, nasty slides that people are experiencing and dying. And it's just crazy. I, I couldn't get over how many times it showed up this past year. But Julian Sands, who is a, um, a recognized actor, um, was one of those individuals that just disappeared and there was no realistic way to find him midwinter. So, you know, now that the spring is here, the the quote unquote summer, I guess you could say it's summer somewhere, but certainly not here in the Northeast. Uh, with the summer here, it became more hospitable and realistic to try to locate uh, bodies or, you know, any clues that would uh, help people find Mr. Sands. So that's what you have from them. Now, a subsequent um, update came out. And this is dated June 24th, and this is the Daily Mail. So, of course, this this is going to be international news. But um, the headline here is, Grim Discovery in the Search for British Actor Julian Sands as Hikers Find Human Remains in the Snow-Covered California Mountain where the 65-year-old Room with a View star disappeared in January. So it goes on to talk about uh, their experience. Hikers on Saturday found human remains in a Southern California mountain area where British actor Julian Sands disappeared five months ago. Authorities said the body was discovered around 10 a.m. in wilderness near Mount Baldy. It was transported to the coroner's office for identification next week. Uh, Next week being uh, this week. So the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department um, released that statement. 
Sands, an avid hiker and mountaineer, was reported missing on January 13th after setting out on the peak that rises more than 10,000 feet east of Los Angeles. The region was pounded by severe storms during the winter. On Friday, his family released its first statement since Sands' disappearance. Quote, We continue to hold Julian in our hearts with bright memories of him as a wonderful father, husband, explorer, lover of the natural world and the arts, and as an original and collaborative performer, the statement said. Um, and that's that's more or less the, the summary of this post here. So, I came downstairs uh, today, fired up the computer, and did a quick little search on an update, and there is an update. So today again, Thursday, June uh, 29th, uh, Julian Sands confirmed dead. I don't think this is a, a huge surprise. I think it was just a matter of time to you know, find the remains and whatnot, but it was pretty much assumed that he had passed due to an awful accident up there. So, actor's remains found months after going missing while hiking. And uh, there's a bunch of clips of on a video that's playing of him at award shows and things like that. So, uh, rest in peace, Julian. Um, he was the star of several Oscar-nominated films, including A Room, Room with a View. Um, he was found dead uh, about three hours ago uh, from, from now, when I was when I just started. He was reported missing January 13th. Um, Crews aided by drones and helicopters had searched for him several times, but severely hampered by wintry conditions that lasted through spring. No sign of him was found until the hikers came upon him. Uh, The chances of Sands being discovered alive had long since diminished to nearly nothing. But the sheriff's department, which conducted an official search the day before he was found, emphasized that the case remained active. Very interesting. So, uh, one other paragraph here. It it highlights the latest tragedy on this mountain. Um, A series of storms throughout the season had created dangerous mountain conditions in the Southern California region in January. Two other hikers um, died recently in the area as well. So, yep, that's our, I put that in the pop culture. It's not a very happy piece, but being a star, celebrity, etc., I thought that was sort of appropriate to put there. And that's all we're going to talk about for the pop culture on that. Um, so moving on, we have a few donations which is always super cool. And I'm going to pull them up here. Here we go. So Mike from Western Mass donated three coffees and he was wishing Mike a good vacation and good vibes to make his toe feel better. That's sweet. And then Molly Allard also donated one coffee. Thank you, Molly. Mike, Molly, you're the best. Thank you so much. Um, you know, everything that's donated uh, by you guys pays for the hosting, the website, and all the other nonsense that we come up with, including the the, uh, the clings. The clings have been 
selling pretty well, actually. Um, <laughs> with Mike on vacation, I actually sent a couple out the other day and uh, I think we were charging, what, 10 bucks for two of them. And uh, so far, the reviews have been good. No problem there. And uh, But after we, after we pay for um, postage, it's like, it's probably like a $3 turnaround. <laughs> so anyway, good stuff. Uh, beer talk. I am actually drinking a beer. I'm, I'm down here uh, having a space cake, which is one of my new ones, new favorites. So it's by Clown Shoes and it's a double IPA, 9%. And if anybody's in the Plymouth area, you got to check out Grotto, Grotto Pizza. It's downtown Plymouth. It's a beautiful Italian pizzeria and um, they serve space cake on draft. So it's awesome. And there is somewhat uh, uh, new news on the Mai Tai front. I think Fugaki, who, which is our favorite place here in uh, Plymouth for Mai Tais, may have some stiff competition. We experienced a new recipe at J.L. Sullivan's, which is on Route 49. It's the Italian, no, not Italian. Oh, my God. Uh, it's the Irish place. It's the yellow building that's sort of tucked back as you're heading down 49 towards Waterville. So Dermot has created um, a recipe for a Mai Tai, and he did a lot of research on it. And what he's done is actually put a couple twists in there. He's actually added um, like a mint leaf, which has grown in his garden nearby. And um, I'm telling you, man, this Mai Tai blew us away. It was so good. And um, yeah, just check it out. If you're in there, check it out. And uh, tell him uh, Stomp sent you from the podcast, okay? Dermot's a great guy. Uh, and if you haven't been there, the place is neat. Um, Dermot was a former boxer, a former trainer. So we've had some fun stuff to talk about. And the whole place is adorned with boxing memorabilia. And uh, it's it's a nice, nice spot. So that's about it. Uh, recent hikes. I can't speak for Mike. I think he's almost recovered. Um when I say Mike, I mean Stubby. That's his new trail name. So Stubby, when I, 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 you know, I don't know if Stubby is like fully recovered, but I think Stubby is like 99% better. So we'll see him back soon. Um, I am planning on booking probably the 4th of July at uh, the Scour Cliff. And um, I was talking with Steve Summits and uh, Full Strength Coffee about doing the captain. So that's probably going to be my other big... Um, adventure but um as well as a backpack i'm gonna be backpacking up on um sorry i'm a little distracted because xylo is like looking for a way out of the screen door he's eating the screen as we speak (sighs) um yeah my cousin and i are going to backpack up on the grand traverse uh for a night and uh just catch up so that's gonna be really cool but back to race news so coming off of the high of the mount washington road race um I had been toying with the idea of doing the Loon Race, um, which is six miles. It utilizes access roads, ski trails, and it's not a it's not an quote unquote only one hill kind of race. It's an up and down kind of race uh, with about four thousand uh, total elevation, if I remember correctly. And the uh, creme de la creme is that they end the race with a final ascent up Upper Walking Boss, which is a forty four percent grade. And it's just an ass kicker. And um, I think the race is 55 bucks to enter. So 
I'm banging wood here. It's like, I'm in, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Um, I'm psyched. I'm going to give it one more go. I've been running a little more, uh, after Mount Washington and I feel, I feel good. It's like, I don't know. Hip is a little lakey, but whatever. I got to keep on moving here. And then after this loon thing, I'm going to shift and get back into the, the hiking stuff. So that's about it. So moving on to notable hikes. So notable listener hike of the week. Tag Slasher on your adventure to be considered for Slasher's Hike of the Week. No guarantees you'll be plugged on the show, but I can tell you that I usually capture everybody. And if I I miss you, then I apologize. So this week we have a bunch. Um, Maya Devaya did uh, Middle Sister with Champney and Pitcher Falls mixed in. So that's a series of trails over by uh, Mount Chikora on the eastern side of the state. James Phoenix, 86, completed his Mount Monadnock Trace. So that's pretty cool. That's sort of a trend I've seen lately. Uh, Just people trying to bag all the trails around Mount Monadnock. And uh, that's super cool. Nice work, James. Patrick Smart, 603, did Mount Carisage. And this is his second in the 52 of the view list. So nice start and uh, keep up the good work. And let's see here. Oh, I, and apparently he was also with a friend, uh, Jajeski's. I probably typed that in wrong on my phone. Um, Jajeski's 603. That was his one out of 52 of the view. So nice work guys. Let's see. Nick hikes and plays guitar. 41 out of 52 of the view for Sugarloaf. And um, he makes note of uh, sort of a brutal ride home. He was continually (laughs) filling a leaky tire for four hours on the ride home. Dude, that is dedication. Dedication to the mountains. Yeah, just got to get out there and get that mountain fix sometimes, huh? That's a funny story. Um, Hiking with Warrior uh, tagged us for Olympic National Park. And um, this is a pretty neat place if you do some research about it. And it was Mount Storm King. So check that out. Beautiful pictures. Beautiful scenery. Liz Fay tagged us for Halebrook uh, for some trail maintenance. And then uh, I guess this was like a a three-day trip. So nice work. Halebrook for trail maintenance on day one. Day two, um, she tackled Mount Mist. And that's off at 25. And I'm getting the impression that Liz, if you're listening, Liz, that you took one of the uh, skitter trails up to the summit. Because this has been on my list. Mount Mist is a mountain that's just south of Webster Cliff, um, which is on the AT. And it's off of Route 25, just north of Warren or Wentworth. I can never keep those two straight. And, um, if you hike in from the 25 side, um, on the AT, you come up to a small bushwhack up to Mount Miss. So that's sort of been my, uh, plan to tackle Miss, but, uh, congratulations. It looks like a cool register up there. Beautiful woods too. And, uh, on day three, she also did uh, Cascade Basin. And that's a really neat area too. Not too many people, uh, frequent this trail. So if you go to the basin parking lot on 93, um, on the 
opposite side on the on the kinsman side of the of the brook and the basin water that flows you'll find the cascade basin trail it's um somewhat sketchy we've had a couple rescues up there over the the years so you got to watch your footing and be careful but this will take you up towards um a roundabout way to get to lonesome lake hut and up towards the kinsman's you know fishing jimmy and all that so check it out that's a really beautiful trail with nice cascades and pools and it's nice and then later today, uh, Nick hikes and plays guitar, tagged us again. So uh, he just tackled Adams, which is fantastic for the sixth time. So nice work. And um, boy, I usually make Mike pick the winner here, but um, oh, this is tricky. This is not fun. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give it to uh, Nick hikes and plays guitar for his leaky ride home for the four hours. <laughs> That's just a great story, bro. Nice work. (laughs) Oh, man. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. All right, so moving on. I think uh, what we're going to do here is just briefly talk about uh, lightning. I did a little bit of digging and some research and put together a quick little uh, thing for us to go over here. But uh, check it out. Each year, about 300 people are struck by lightning, uh, but only an average of 82 people per year have died from lightning strikes since 1959. So that's pretty interesting. This number has been on the decline, and in the past five years, no more than 50 have died each year. Now, I do believe those are national statistics, so I guess the point of that paragraph is to say that the chances are pretty slim that you're going to be hit by lightning, especially when you consider the number of people that visit the region. Um, This region in particular, I mean, if this is a national stat, I mean, it's even less. So I don't think you, you really have to dwell on this, but I think if you're planning on going hiking in wet weather or if the forecast is looking like there's a chance of lightning and thunder, um, then I think you have to take uh, some knowledge and uh, precaution with you. So let's see what we have here. Uh, The first thing on the list, mitigation. I mean, obviously the first thing you can do is check the damn forecast. I mean, honestly... Sometimes people go hiking in these in these crazy weather days, and I just shake my head like, why, why? I, I get it, but why? So the best thing you can do is probably just wait, avoid the uh, the dangerous times or the forecast times, and um, you know, the, like like everybody says, the mountains will be there another day. So check the forecast. Um, if they're coming in the afternoon, that's generally when thunderstorms happen. Not not always the rule, but generally they happen in the afternoons. If that's the case, hike earlier, okay? Um, if they're in the forecast. If you, if, if this is a really thing that sort of struck me, if you can hear thunder, you are at increased risk for a strike, all right? So let me say that again. If you can hear the thunder, you're at increased risk. So be self-aware. Obviously, hearing it's one thing, but I think awareness starts way before that. So keep a lookout for clouds on the horizon. 
weather generally moves west to east here in the northeast. So if you're on Mount Washington, you want to be looking uh, west towards, say, Musalak or the Pemi, seeing what's coming. Look towards Vermont, see what's coming. I have a great story about that that Mike and I have covered where Mrs. Stomp and I were on the Wildcats and Mike called me. Um, or sent me a text, one or the other, and he was on, I want to say the Tri-Pyramids, and he got blasted by a storm, and he, he let me know, hey, dude, you got to get ready. Something big's coming. And I take a peek in my peripheral because Mrs. Stomp is behind me, and I don't want her to see my head turn left to look. <laughs> so I take a peek in my periphery, and sure enough, it's like the gates of Mordor, like just black. I'm like, oh my God, we probably have maybe maybe 20 minutes if we're lucky. So we get to the top of the ski uh, the, the ski resort part of it where the, uh, the oh my God, the, the lift. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Oh, thank you, Stomp. Thank you, Stomp. The lift, the ski lift uh, drops off and we ended up um, ultimately sneaking into an open shack made of tin and uh, it was like maybe six feet by four feet and it was a um, just like a valve for the snowmaking. And thank God, because the second we got in there, we got hit by a storm which lasted about five to ten minutes. And it was just hail, pounding noise. We couldn't even hear each other talk. It was incredible. So long story short, just be aware and keep a lookout. It's pretty simple. What to do if you're stuck in a thunderstorm and you don't have the uh, benefit of a tin shack like me and Mrs. Stomp? The suggestions range from uh, descend from peaks, get below tree line, essentially. So descend from peaks, ridges, or elevated areas. Seek protection in valleys. Um, seek shelter or homes, offices, and other grounded structures are safe, but open-faced shelters offer less protection. So this is talking about more of an urban situation if you're outside in a city or a town. Um, obviously, there are no homes and offices up on, uh, you know, Wildcat or Mount Washington, um, or the Prezies, I should say. So that won't be an option, but it's an interesting point about the open-faced shelters. So there's less protection there. Um distance yourself from metals. It's pretty obvious. Um, and what they list here, hiking poles, framed packs. Did you think about that one? Framed packs offer uh, a risk. And the suggested distance for you to distance yourself from any metal uh, material is 100 feet minimum. So pretty wild. Now, they talk about a rule that's called the 30-30 rule, and this is pretty cool. So, if you count the seconds from a lightning flash, meaning when you see that lightning, until when the thunder is heard, that's the 30-30 rule, okay? So, if it's less than 30 seconds between the flash and the, the, the rumble, you should already be in a shelter, all right? So if it's less than 30 seconds, it's on top of you, essentially. So lightning can strike six miles away from the thunderhead and occasionally even farther. If it's less than 30 seconds and you are not at a shelter site, you need to take quick action. So basically stay inside a shelter until at least 30 minutes after hearing the last roll of thunder just to play it safe. 
This gives time for the storm to pass and minimizes your chance of being struck. Um, Another point, if you're in the heat of it and you have no shelter and you're just up there, just absorbing this thing, assume the position. Uh, (laughs) This is a great one. Assume the position. So break up your group to avoid multiple casualties if you're in a group and assume the position. Basically, get yourself low, get yourself on the ground, and get into the fetal position. So you'll see a a common theme here. You're trying to get low. Get off the highs, get down into the valleys. Make your body low. Don't stand up in the midst of it. Get down low. Get into the fetal position and uh, wait for this thing to pass. Get yourself away from the metals, etc. So this is interesting about breaking up your group though. So you don't think about this too often. Um, You want to avoid multiple casualties. So if you're all bundled together uh, under a tree, for God's sakes, or somewhere else, um, you got to break it up. You don't want multiple casualties. And if you do have casualties, what do you do? So um, for lightning victims, things that you should know, this is a myth. There is no electrical charge residue. So you don't, if somebody gets hit by lightning, you're not going to get shocked if you touch them. I mean, that's just a myth. So don't worry about that. Um, If you're trained in CPR, first aid, go through your CPR protocol, you know, check for the pulse, heartbeat, check the breathing, continue from there as necessary. If you're dealing with multiple victims, then you have to triage, you know, just try to assess who needs the most attention first and work with those people and assign other people to manage the other folks if, if that's the case. Uh, assess for burns. I mean, these are, these are pretty obvious. If you're hit by lightning, uh, generally you have uh, an entry point and an exit point. And if there's any metal or wristlets or anklets that are made out of metal, uh, you may find burns in those areas because those metals act as like a, a ground or um, whatnot. So assess for burns in those areas. And then you can also assess and treat for shock. Um, Okay. So that's my little spiel on lightning. I I wanted to talk about it a little bit because it seems like we're in the heat of it now uh, with this time of the year and the current forecast, which from what I can tell is going to continue for the next 10 days or so. So be careful out there. Search and rescue news. So we're going to go national first. And this is a, a really sad story. Um, it, this is a Florida man and his stepson end up dying after hiking at a Texas national park in sizzling temps. So park officials said that um, Marufo Vega Trail lacks water and shade, making it dangerous on very hot days. So a Florida man and his 14-year-old stepson ended up dying in Big Bend National Park in Texas on Friday after hiking in extremely hot conditions, according to park officials. 
Park officials said the 14-year-old stepson became ill and lost consciousness while hiking with his 31-year-old stepfather and a 21-year-old brother on a day when the temperature reached uh, 119 degrees. 119 degrees, my God. The 21-year-old attempted to carry his younger sibling back to the trailhead as the stepfather left the two to go back to the vehicle and find help. Once a team of park rangers and U.S. Border Patrol agents reached the scene, an hour and a half after the call, the 14-year-old had died. The search then turned towards the stepfather, and at about 8 p.m., his vehicle was found, crashed over an embankment at Bogila's Overlook. Wow. So the stepfather was pronounced dead at this second scene. So, I mean, this area, the, the Marufo Vega Trail, um, which is part of Big Ben's Rocky Cliffs, uh, it's very rugged desert, but it's also considered to be the hottest part of the park. Making the trail even more strenuous is the lack of water and shade. So it's uh, very dangerous in hi- uh, hiking there in sizzling summer days. So if anybody's out there, oh, just be careful and be prepared because that's brutal. You don't want that to happen. That's just a terrible thing. Now, we're going to shift local. Locally, there's been an uptick in um, a, you know slips and falls because of the weather, the wet rocks. And uh, we're just going to touch upon four today. And there was one actually that just happened today, actually, um, up in the Gale River area. But that, uh, that report will be pending. So we're going to start at Arethusa Falls. Hiker walkout from Arethusa Falls. So this is uh, CEO Benjamin Lewis. And this was posted um, June 23rd. So at approximately 3.40 p.m., New Hampshire Fish and Game Conservation Officers responded to a hiker experiencing a medical emergency on the Arethusa Falls Trail. Samantha Verdon, 27, of Nashua, New Hampshire, left the parking area around 12 p.m. On the way back from the falls, Verdon fell ill and alerted 911. At 4.15, COs headed up the Arethusa Falls Trail to assist Verdon walk out under her own power at approximately 5.14 p.m. to meet an awaiting Bartlett Jackson ambulance. Uh, at that point, she refused transport and left with her hiking partner. So that's all we have for that one. Pretty interesting. Next, we have an injured hiker on the Imp Trail. Injured hiker carried down Imp Trail. And this is Sergeant Glenn Lucas. June 23rd uh, posted. So this was on the 22nd. A New Hampshire man suffered a leg injury after slipping and falling while hiking on the Imp Trail. At approximately 12 p.m. on June 22nd, 73-year-old Jonathan Burrows of Glen, New Hampshire, was coming down the Imp Trail after trying to complete a short day hike with his dog when he slipped on a muddy section of the trail and injured his leg. His injury was severe enough that he was not able to continue on his own and he called 911 for assistance. This initiated a response from New Hampshire Fish and Game and Search and Rescue volunteers. Volunteers from Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue, Lakes Region Search and Rescue, Appalachian Mountain Club, and AmeriCorps 
responded to the call and carried up a litter and medical supplies to assist in the carryout of Burroughs. Rescue personnel reached Burroughs on the trail approximately 2.2 miles from the Camp Dodge cutoff trail at approximately 3.10 p.m. Burroughs was treated, packaged into a litter, and carried down the trail to an awaiting ambulance. More than 25 volunteers and conservation officers carried Burroughs down the mountain in rotating teams of six. Uh, The rescue crew arrived back at Camp Dodge with Burroughs at approximately 6 p.m. And then uh, Burroughs was um, sent off to Memorial Hospital for further treatment. So that's pretty cool. You got to love it when you see 25 volunteers show up for a thing like this. Remember, these people are just volunteers. They're just, they're like me sitting in my basement here. All of a sudden, an alert goes off and up and go. They just drop everything and go to help somebody that's in need. So... It's super cool. It seems like the uh, the state of search and rescue in New Hampshire is just very, very healthy uh, right now. Um, now, moving on, this is uh, the next story. We have an injured hiker, Franconia Falls. Franconia Falls is on this eastern side of the state. So this is uh, a post by si- Sergeant Heidi Murphy. Uh, let's see. Wow, this is a busy time frame. This was posted also on June 23rd. So in Lincoln, New Hampshire. At 3.35 p.m., a report of an injured hiker came into 911 via text from Franconia Falls in Lincoln. A Massachusetts man had sustained a lower leg injury from jumping on wet rocks at the falls. The injury was severe enough that it prevented the hiker from moving, causing him to be stranded on the opposite side of the river until help could arrive. The hiker, identified as Ken Hyman of Sharon, Mass., was hiking with four other friends Due to limited cell coverage in the Pemi Wilderness in Franconia Falls, two of his friends began hiking the 3.4 miles back to the Lincoln Woods Trailhead for help. After about 0.5 miles, they were able to contact 911 through limited text. Conservation officers and volunteers from the Pemi Valley Search and Rescue Team responded to Lincoln Woods. Rescue personnel reached Hyman at approximately 5.45 p.m. and provided first aid and they were able to carry him safely back to the trailhead by 7.10 p.m. And uh, then he was transported transported to Littleton Hospital uh, for further care and evaluation. So again, a lot of slip and falls. Uh, be super careful out there. This is an intense story. All right, this is the last one for uh, the show here. So this is Injured Hiker on Cannon Mountain. I'm going to take a sip of my clown shoes for this. I don't know how Mike gets through these uh, reports. My mouth is drying up on me. Um, Injured hiker on Cannon Mountain. This is Conservation Officer James Sears III, and this is June 27th. So that's when the story was posted. Shortly after 6.30 p.m. on June 26, 2023, conservation officers were notified of an injured hiker on the High Cannon Trail on Cannon Mountain in Franconia Notch. All right, let's stop right there. Who who here has done high cannon? Raise your hands, unless you're driving. Excellent. I see you. I see you do that. I see you raising your hands. How crazy is high cannon trail? Crazy. Raise your hands way up high, unless you're driving, if it's a crazy, brutal, tough-ass trail. Ah, I see you. Very good, very good. I see you. All right, so this trail is crazy. It's steep. It has ladders. It has sections 
before the ladders that are just bouldery, almost like um, Buttress Trail type of Mount Washington bouldery and just brutal. So this is not the place uh, that you'd want to uh, have to help somebody if it could be avoided. But um, nonetheless, volunteers um, responded and uh, did their job and they did it really, really well. So back to the story. So the hiker was identified as Jans Witkowski, 67, of Wallington, New Jersey. He'd been hiking with his adult son when he slipped and fell on wet rocks, sustaining a leg injury. After attempting to continue with his injury, the pair placed a phone call for help. After speaking with Witkowski and his son, conservation officers and 24 volunteers from the Pemi Valley Search and Rescue Team began a response up the trail with equipment and personnel. Around 9 p.m., the first rescuers arrived with the injured hiker and were able to stabilize the injured hiker's injury and warm him. Remember, this is like, the the 26 was a nightmare up here. It was pouring. It was absolutely pouring out. Um, So at 10 p.m., rescuers started the 1.5-mile carryout down the steep, narrow, and rough terrain back to the trailhead where the rescue party arrived just before 1 a.m. on June 27th. Yikes. So that's a long night. So he was then transported to Littleton Regional Hospital in Littleton, New Hampshire for further further treatment and evaluation by Linwood Ambulance. The father and son pair were well-experienced, well-equipped hikers for the train conditions and hike that they had planned for for the day. So there you go. So lots of slips and falls, um, lots of rain out there. Now we know what to do with uh, lightning and thunder and all that good stuff. And uh, that's all I have. So um, let me think if there's any housekeeping notes here. So let's see. Uh, Mike will be back. Um, not not next Friday. So next Friday there won't be um, a show unless maybe I can wrestle up uh, Mrs. Stomp or something like that. But tomorrow, uh, Saturday, I will post the um, the Stomp Machine Race the Cog mix, which is like, it's like four hours of the best dance music out there. So I hope you enjoy it and uh, you can check it out. So that'll be posted on uh, the Instagram and uh, you'll be able to download it from all the different podcast platforms. So I hope you enjoyed this and um, hope everybody's well. Stay safe out there and um, happy 4th of July. And um, if we do this uh, thing on Scour, I will post it on uh, the Instagram story. All right. Rogue Stomp is checking out. Later. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. 
He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.